Hello, and welcome to Curious Objects, brought to you by the magazine Antiques. I'm Ben Miller. The pandemic has been particularly hard on cultural institutions, including art museums. Many have faced financial catastrophe over the past year, uh, forcing extreme budget cutbacks, including laying off staff. At the same time, many of these museums possess extraordinary wealth in the form of their collections. So the solution to their fiscal problem seemingly is right at their fingertips. But museums selling art leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Um, I think it's it's a bit like the Greek myth of Tantalus. You know, he's he's desperately thirsty and standing in a pool of water, but when he bends to take a sip, the water recedes. You know, the collections are there, they're massively valuable, and the museums are desperately thirsty, but it's not so easy to take a drink. Now, normally at this time of year, I'd be packing my bags and catching the train to Philadelphia to exhibit at the Philadelphia Antique Show. The show is a, a nonprofit benefiting the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And in fact, over the years um, at that show, uh, our firm has has sold a number of pieces to the museum itself. This year, of course, the show is virtual, and so I'm sitting around here in New York. Uh, but to, to think through this deaccession dilemma, who better to talk with than my guest today, the director of the Philadelphia Museum of Art, Timothy Rubb. Timothy has led the PMA since 2009, and uh, relevant for today's conversation, he is also a former president of the Association of Art Museum Directors, or AAMD. Timothy, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be with you. Now, in ordinary times, institutions are forbidden from selling their art, except uh, in very narrow and, and specific purposes. Um, well, I, I should say they're not necessarily forbidden by law, uh, but rather by the Association of Art Museum Directors. And the, the AAMD has a policy that states, um, quote, funds received from the disposal of a deaccession work shall not be used for operations or capital expenses and may only be used for the acquisition of works. So in other words, you can't sell off your collection just to help make ends meet. Um, however, last April, with COVID becoming an existential threat to many institutions, the AAMD issued an, an emergency two-year moratorium, um, saying that they would not punish any museum or director who sell their works to keep their staff employed and, and their doors open. Um, now, you know, some museums have raced to take advantage of that moratorium, sending major works to the auction block. Um, others have flinched at the idea. Some have even gotten in trouble, including uh, the Baltimore Museum of Art, which last October drew harsh criticism uh, for their, their plan to deaccession works by Bryce Martin, Clifford Still, and Andy Warhol. But, Timothy, let's start with you in Philadelphia. Um, so t- you know, tell me, if you can, briefly, uh, how has the PMA reacted to, to the moratorium? And you know, have you and the, the board and the curatorial staff uh, talked at, uh, about the possibility of deaccessions? Uh, y- yes, we have. And I-, I can't imagine there hasn't been a, a museum in the country, certainly uh, those that are members of the Association of Art Museum Directors, uh, that haven't had, had this conversation among staff <clears throat> and with their, their boards of trustees. Um, it, it's in the air. And of course, um, it, it, it is a very interesting and uh, option to consider uh, at this time when when the economy has um, laid waste to, to our cultural institutions and made it very, very difficult uh, for us to manage our, our budgets in the short term. So uh, mm. we, you know, we, we're, we're always talking about deaccessioning and, and we're, we, we do a good deal of it um, under normal circumstances, but yes, the pandemic and the stresses it's created on, on our budgets has really brought this into sharp focus. But you haven't arrived at the decision to sell any major works out of the Philadelphia Museum collection. We have not. So it's it's been 
about the end of this month, it will be just about a year since that um, that exception to the professional practices of the AMD um, was put in place by by its board. Um, we no, we haven't because we we've been working primarily on on trying to engineer uh, a strictly financial solution to the challenges we face. And uh, again, I I think that's probably true of most of our peer institutions. We've we've been um, obviously trying to to sustain support amongst our donors and the community, uh, our members and the like. And that, that's been really quite successful. I should say that mm. that donors um, and those who support our institutions have really stepped up <clears throat> in a significant way to provide um, annual operating support, really relief during the pandemic. Uh, of course, we've taken, um, in our case, very drastic measures to reduce our budget because our, our earned income when we shut our doors uh, essentially went uh, to zero. Uh, and we, we found ourselves facing a really significant shortfall in terms of operating revenues. Um, but what we did was, what we did was take, take our medicine early, um, and, and reduce staffing and, and reduce expenditures, uh, in some cases to the bone, knowing that we had to sail very, very close to the wind, uh, to get through the, the pandemic. And, um, if we could limit the amount of, of debt, uh, indebtedness that we created um, through operating deficits, uh, we we could come back faster and stronger. So that's what we've been trying to do. Right. So so is it fair to say that you would only see deaccessioning as as truly a last resort, and and in this case you haven't had to fall on the very last resort. We haven't, and of course we're not out of the woods yet. So um, I think here and, and elsewhere there will be um, further conversations. Uh, uh, about yeah. it. Uh, I, sh- I should also say that um, y- y- I think you're right to characterize it uh, as something of, of a last resort, um, in part because we, we've always segregated um, our different kinds of assets in the museum and treated them um, separately. So uh, our endowments, save for the income that they generate, are, are not used to fund an operating budget. Um, our collections have been separated uh, as an asset class, so to speak. Um, so that there isn't the uh, the temptation or the demand to to turn a a valuable work of art um, into a financial asset and monetize it, uh, and I think that's uh, frankly a, a a very good and strong policy for the for the long term. So let's talk about um, you know there are some museums, as I mentioned, that that have taken advantage of this moratorium. Um, you know some high profile examples include uh, you know as I said the Baltimore Museum, uh, the Brooklyn Museum, um, SF MoMA. And others that have either deaccessioned or, or attempted to, to deaccession important and expensive works, and I'm interested in in hearing from you. You know, and I'm not going to to uh, force you to name names if if you'd rather not. But um, I'm curious to hear your take on what you feel are some of uh, what you might characterize as the sort of positive versus negative uh, approaches to to deaccessioning that you've seen uh, d- during the pandemic. Well, I, it's hard to, to, to look at these and, and determine whether they're, they're positive or negative. Again, I, I think in the long term and under normal operating circumstances, the, 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 the prohibition against deaccessioning or monetizing works of art for, for operating costs is, is a good and useful policy to pursue. Um, I think those institutions that have, have taken this step, um, um, have, have have done different things, and, and amongst the, I think the, the most um, 
admirable uh, if you if you if you if you want to use that term uh, would be the approach taken by the um, the Brooklyn Museum of Art which um, uh, deaccessioned a, a number of paintings to um, create an endowment uh, to provide for um, as the AMD's moratorium uh, allows to provide for uh, 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 funding of the direct care of collections and so they established as many institutions have a policy defining, uh, direct care of collections, what you could use these funds for. Um, but they, um, but what they did, of course, was to create an endowment that will um, help now to a certain extent, but also continue uh, to yield support for, for all of those important functions, insurance, storage, uh, curatorial work, conservation, and the like going forward. Um, that addresses both the short-term need, but it also sets the institution up uh, by funding uh, direct care of collections in the longer term. Uh, and clearly that's going to make a, a big difference for Brooklyn. Uh, on the other hand, uh, uh, um, the, the, the controversy stirred by the, um, uh, by the decision made and later retracted by the Baltimore Museum of Art was um, in one sense understandable because a small portion of the funds, and I think it's important to to underscore that it wasn't the bulk of the funds that they would have uh, developed or generated through the sale, but a small portion of the funds uh, were going to were going to be earmarked for things other than uh, the direct care uh, of collections. But but as you know, the one of the key um, aspects of that controversy was was um, uh, a disagreement which played out in public over over the the um, uh, the decision to 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 sell truly important works of art masterpieces from the collection um, and and the effect that that would have on the institution in the long term. Yeah, in other words, these weren't necessarily works that were uh, hiding away in storage closets and that no one would particularly miss. No, and you know, and that kind of work of, uh, as you put it, of things that are stowed away in storage closets, um, that kind of work, which I call housekeeping, of of making mm -hmm. sure making sure you're you're not um, maintaining or keeping things that are not useful uh, to you um, anymore is a is a good and important practice that goes on in in virtually every institution um, I know and it's it's um, it's a tedious but uh, but important part of of maintaining a collection you shouldn't keep what you can't use or is of of no value uh, or little or no value and because it's taking up space and it's costing money to do that so we all do that um, as a matter of course the problem is that that right, but of course that's not going to raise a large amount of money quickly exactly it may yield some space and make the management of collect the collection a little bit easier but it's not going to yield much in terms of income um, at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, um, this is done routinely, um, particularly in our our, um, our department of prints, drawings, and photographs, because we have a number of duplicate prints and uh, and we review them very carefully. And of course, um, once they're once they're um, sold, they they provide funds to uh, enrich the collection through the purchase of of other works on paper. Um, I, I want to come back to this idea that of, of what you're calling housekeeping, because I think there's there's some interesting. Um, themes to to uh, touch on there, but um, let's talk. Uh, let's focus for the moment on this um, crisis that museums are facing uh, during during the pandemic. The moratorium that the AAMD has, has issued. You know, some museums ha have seen this as an opportunity to start to rethink 
their collections and their their facilities and and yes even their compensation and you know uh, the the Baltimore Museum was criticized for the notion that they might take um, as you say a, a portion of the proceeds from this uh, proposed sale to um, raise uh, staff compensation now I think you know what uh, the the director there Christopher Bedford would have said in in defense is that you know this wasn't some kind of cash grab to try to to boost the salaries of uh, well-paid curators. Um, this was really focused on uh, raising the compensation for the lowest paid um, tier of employees and uh, all done, I think, with a very sort of um, social justice mentality of wanting the museum to uh, better reflect and, and serve the uh, predominantly African-American community of Baltimore that uh, that it's supposed to serve. So that's just one example. But, um, you know, uh, one uh, thought that uh, that museums may have as they consider deaccessions is well, you know, what is this going to say about our institution? What are our goals, and how is this deaccession going to reflect those goals? So, you know, I I sort of I I want to ask um, from your perspective, you know, how do you see the or what do you see as the the uh, potential opportunities for um, that kind of thinking about deaccession if if there are. And, and what do you see as the, the pitfalls of, of that kind of thinking, uh, particularly during a crisis? Yeah, perhaps I should start by, by laying out my own position, which is um, probably uh, at this point considered pretty old school. And that is that um, I, I do think good fences make good neighbors and um, segregating um, the, the need for, for operating, uh, operating support and, and how that is secured uh, from the the, the the care and development of the collection uh, is a useful um, boundary to maintain. Um, why? Because the, you know, particularly with, and here we're talking about collecting institutions. For, for most of us, uh, our collections are, are, are really the heart of the institution, um, particularly if you're taking a long-term view um, of, 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 of its value uh, to the community and to the field and the like. So the, the ongoing maintenance and care, stewardship of that collection and its ongoing development, uh, I think is, is not simply an important, but a central goal uh, of, of what we do. And uh, that requires resources to be sure. Um, and it can be a challenge as well, uh, financially and, and otherwise. Um, but it's, it's a task, a responsibility to which we have to attend on a regular basis, and um, and I think again maintaining a, a kind of firewall, so to speak, between um, the care and development of the collection on the one hand and, and the operations of the museum on the other is important. is a very important thing. Um, again, you know, keep in mind that um, even the 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 the, the, mor- the moratorium that the AMD. Um, has um, has passed for these these two years um, allows simply for the use of funds temporarily for the direct care of collections, not for other purposes. So they're they're drawing a rather um, uh, um, a, a rather sharp boundary between um, collections and their care and the rest of a museum's operations. Um, even even so, and again under normal times, the the prohibition against using the accession funds for anything other than the development of the collection, uh, I think, is a 
uh, a, a useful one. Um, good fences make good neighbors, and I think that that it allows museums to to care for the collections, to to, to um, defend and support their uh, their continued development um, at a time when values continue to increase and the demand on monetizing collections has increased as well. Now that's an important point, um, and I'll, I'll stop I'll stop when I when I make this or after I make this rather that for many of us. Um, acquisition funds, the resources to acquire additional works of art to build and expand and strengthen our collections are difficult to come by. Um, and, and very often, particularly with a collection like ours, um, the sale of, of import, a lesser but nonetheless important works of art is a way uh, to help us fund new acquisitions and, and to help us develop and strengthen and refine our collections. It's kind of our seed corn in a way, and if that were diverted to another purpose, I think you'd see um, the the, the ac activity around the development of the collection be diminished by that. Yeah. So you're, you've mentioned a number of times now this idea of a firewall between the um, collections and uh, you know, versus operating expenses. What um, what do you think are the risks if that firewall doesn't exist? Um, what are some of the the potential conflicts of interest that might come about um, if if an institution were to do something like what the Baltimore Museum had proposed in October? Well, a number of them have been been mentioned in many articles written about um, deaccessioning um, in the past year. Uh, I, I think it's uh, first of all, it, however useful. Um, it may be to divert funds from the sale of works of art for for the care of collections in the short term. Um, it, it's debatable whether this is really useful um, as a, a long term solution. Uh, collections, just like um, anything else, are are finite resources, uh, and if we if we keep on monetizing them to support operating expenses, uh, that can go uh, only go on for so long. Uh, it, it, I guess it would be like cutting off your nose to spite your face, um, in, in, in a sense. And um, you know, we, we there are prohibitions um, which we really don't talk about very much um, against the use of, of endowment endowments, particularly uh, restricted endowment funds, uh, for uh, operating purposes. Um, there are legal um, restrictions in place to ensure that. Uh, those funds are there um, to to support, um, uh, the, in this case, the operations of the museum or specific activities um, in perpetuity, uh, um, and only the income from those funds can be used. So that's that's another example of a protected asset um, that is designed to continue to support and help the museum function in, in the long term. Um, so I think that 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 collections. Um, in the same way, collections should be um, uh, the stewardship of, of collections should be thought of at, in, in, in that sense. Um, you know, uh, another thing that that is has has often been brought up, and I think it's 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 really important to keep in mind um, how how will donors feel about donating works of art um, and about um, the possibility of there being. Um, Repurpose to provide annual operating support. Um, we typically ask um, our donor community, and our donor community has been very generous in terms of providing 
um, annual operating support, a gift, gifts they make each year to a variety of purposes, to general operations, to, to programs and exhibitions and so on. Um, we also ask our donors on a regular basis. And again, they respond very generously to, um, to funding uh, capital needs. Now, if those, if those boundaries were erased between, let's say, collections and, and operations, and we're not there yet, that this is a, uh, an extreme hypothetical. Um, yes, would it be simple for us to to sell a, a very significant painting and fund the renovation of a significant portion of the museum or an expansion or fund a new program or, or increase salaries? Um, but if we did so, um, uh, how would our what would our donors say the next time we go around asking for capital support or an annual fund donations? Um, would they say, be inclined to say, well, you can simply um, sell a work from your collection that's in the basement and use it? Thank you very much. So I think there there is a is is a risk there, and I think all of this masks um, obscures an obvious point, and that is how we the key issue is how we manage our operating costs and and focusing on endowment and building long term financial resources. For the, for the operations of the museum. Now, most of the time, in point of fact, that formula works very well. Uh, we do receive uh, an enormous amount of annual operating support from our donors and members. We do receive very significant endowment gifts. We do receive funds for, for, for capital improvements and expansions. Um, and as I said, most of the time this works pretty well. Uh, this time it didn't, but remember, that this is a crisis of an extraordinary proportions or dimensions rather. And, um, and, and even so, hopefully we'll soon be past it and, and we'll be back to normal operations again. Uh, so I don't think we should lose our heads and, 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 and push in a direction that ultimately would be, uh, I think, very dangerous for museums. Right. So um, the, the sort of the two central concerns that I hear then are number one, the fear that it could be a slippery slope, that once you take a shot of adrenaline, you want another one. Um, and, and, and then what's to stop you from really doing serious damage to, to the, the, uh, the scope and significance of the collections. And then number two is what does it do for, um, uh, for donations um, for particularly, you know, legacy minded donors um, to see their, the works that they've donated um, to, to, to be, you know, sent to the chopping block. Are, are there, I actually had a listener um, suggest uh, a question about um, whether uh, families, donors or their families are ever consulted when a museum is considering um, deaccessioning a piece uh, that they've given. Is that a conversation that a museum might um, uh, be able to have to, to, add, to, to sort of present the case for the deaccession to the donor and engage their response? Yeah, it, it, it's a, it, that's a very good question. Uh, and in, in, in point of fact, um, we do quite often have, have those conversations. Um, the, the, um, it's good stewardship, number one, um, to keep in, in touch with a donor or a, a donor's family if that donor is no, no longer with us. Um, but it's important, even though um, in most cases we um, we receive gifts uh, on unrestricted basis. That is, there um, by definition there are no strict restrictions on what the museum could could do with a gift. 
that's made on an unrestricted basis. We could sell the work if we want, but um, very often we, you know, we we do um, think about uh, the donors uh, again if they're still with us and um, and they're, they're uh, the reasons they gave the work to us and and um, and the obligation that we have as stewards of, of the object um, to to consult with them and say we're we're thinking of of selling this for um, to to acquire another work of art or to put into a, a fund because the work is no longer useful for us and um, we hope you'll understand. Um, uh, so we are always sympathetic, sympathetic rather to to those kinds of questions and and that's part of uh, again our responsibilities as good stewards of the collection. So does that change the calculus if um, if you're aware? That a donor is actually comfortable with uh, with the deaccession, does that? Um, you know, I mean, it sounds like it makes you more sympathetic to the idea that uh, you know that that's a good piece for the museum to consider getting rid of. Yeah, I I, I, I think it would. In some instances, um, donors are concerned about um, the, the the what the what the museum might do with the object in the future and. Um, and and donate it with um, with certain restrictions, and um, we can choose to accept them mm-hmm. or or not, as the case may be. And in, in many cases, we do because we're you know if there's a prohibition against against the future sale of the object, we're comfortable that that the object is going to remain important an important part of the collection uh, in the future. Right. Uh, but even so, uh, you know the. The very act of giving a work of art, even on unrestricted basis, to museum, um, is to put is is an act of putting um, the the donor's trust in the museum, and trusting that the museum will be a good steward of of that object. That in itself is is something that gives us pause and makes us, um, I think, reluctant to uh, to part with objects because again, um, if we've accepted them in good faith, we ought to be willing. To keep them and, and utilize them for the, the benefit of the museum going public, um, but in some cases, again, when when a decision for uh, for one or more good reasons is made made to sell something, then then I think again, um, it's it's a responsibility of, of of the museum to to inform the the donor if, again if he or she is still with us and and make sure that they understand we're doing this. In most cases, uh, they're fine with it. And they understand our reasons. Mm. Right. It's interesting. I mean, this this leads to a question or a theme that um, is, is maybe a little thornier than what we've touched on so far, which, you know, goes to the heart of um, of the sort of self-examination that institutions have to go through when they're thinking about their collections, which is to say that, you know, the, the collection ought to reflect the, the purpose and the mission uh, of the museum. Uh, but there are, of course, many different groups who have a stake in that, uh, in, in the collection, in the um, viewing of the collection, in the treatment and care of it. And, and that includes, of course, scholars, uh, curators themselves, you know, the, the staff of the museum or of other museums, um, artists. Uh, there are the avid enthusiasts, you know, the, the annual members, the casual visitors. There are uh, school trips. There are tourists. Um, there are the, the members of the general public in the communities where these museums exist. There are a lot of different people who have some kind of stake in what's going on. 
And the mission of the institution has to take many of these competing interests into account. And those interests may uh, change over time. So, for example, um, you know, uh, one issue that's of particular concern to many institutions today are minority communities, um, which in, in the case of many museums, like, you know, the Brooklyn Museum of a few blocks down the street from me or um, the Baltimore Museum that we've mentioned, you know, minority communities may actually be plurality communities or majority communities um, in, in these neighborhoods and in cities uh, that these museums are serving. So, um, I, you know, I guess what I want to ask is whether you think museum governance structures as they exist now, um, are, generally speaking, are, are well equipped to adjudicate all of these diverse interests when it comes to both buying and, and then also deaccessioning artwork. Uh, I'm not sure that's um, that's so much a governance issue as it's a matter of of um, uh, how the museum uh, interprets uh, its its mission uh, at, at any given point in time and, and how it how it adjusts um, the interpretation of, of its mission um, to accommodate changes in um, in the community it serves, um, shifting tastes and and shifting expectations about what museums um, do for their can do for their communities today, how they can engage with their communities, um, and and how they can in, enrich the lives of uh, of the, the audiences that they were they were founded uh, to serve. Um, as you know, museums right now are I think looking at this uh, these this these interlocking or interrelated issues. Um, with with more candor and far greater scrutiny than uh, than than they have at least in my professional lifetime, um, and, uh-huh. and, and I, I think what what it's going to yield is uh, it, not so much a, a shift, a seismic shifts in in collecting. Um, in some cases, it, it may. I think in most cases, um, uh, museum collections. Practices and, and directions will be inflected in in one way or another. I think that's inevitable. Um, but but I, I think how where it will be reflected most clearly is in uh, is in two ways. One is um, it, it is uh, programmatically including um, uh, the development of exhibitions and the presentations of collections. How are these considered? Uh, these core activities of the museum considered them and carried out uh, in in relation t- to um, the interests and needs voices of of these communities and uh, and and secondly um, what kind of what kind of dialogue um, and I think this is going to be uh, an area of, of of great change in the next few years uh, what kind of interaction and dialogue will Will take place between uh, those com- those various communities and the museum. Um, I think that's going to to yield a, a kind of much richer uh, understanding um, and set of decisions made uh, made with respect to programming exhibitions, um, the presentation and, and interpretation of, of our collections. Uh, and I think that will be a very very good good thing. Um, but what what I think is also going to um, to happen is 
is that there's there's going to be far uh, again f- a far greater and and richer two way dialogue between um, the museum and, and those uh, for whom our work is intended intended um, to benefit and. Uh, that kind of interaction um, exists to a certain extent now. Um, you know, many museums, including ours, have have spent a good deal of time engaging communities over the last several decades, um, understanding audience, trying to understand audiences um, in a more sophisticated and thoroughgoing way, and listening uh, to what they want, and 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 um, because that's the key uh, to engaging them and bringing them. Through the door, but um, I do think the events of, of the last year um, and uh, the demands for for greater equity in the museum are are going to to lead us well beyond where we were with those questions into into this new new territory, and I mm-hmm. think it will be very interesting and very productive. We'll be back with Timothy Rubb in just a minute. As always, I want to say thank you for listening. You, dear listener, are the reason this podcast exists and the reason we're having these conversations. If you enjoy them, the one thing that I ask that is incredibly helpful to us is to help us get the word out. Tell a friend or a colleague about Curious Objects, or just leave us a rating or a short review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. I know it's repetitive to hear this, but those small actions are the main way that we know to reach more listeners, and I'm really grateful to those of you who do it. If you're on Instagram, you can see updates about upcoming episodes from at AntiquesMag and for me at Objective Interest. You can reach me by email at CuriousObjectsPodcast at gmail.com. I'm always interested in suggestions for topics and guests. Thanks again. Now, back to the show. What do you think of, so how to put this, you know, one of the priorities that, um, that Chris Chris Bedford at at Baltimore has spoken about, and as as we've alluded to already in this conversation, is the notion that um, you know Baltimore is is a two thirds majority African American city, and the collection of the Baltimore Museum of Art uh, I don't know what fraction of it represents uh, African American artists, but I would be shocked if it were as high as three percent. So there's uh, obviously you know a huge disparity now the museum's only purpose isn't just to um, display artwork by uh, people representative of those, you know, I, I think there is probably a you know, disproportionate number of Italians uh, represented in the Baltimore Museum versus the number of Italians living in Baltimore. So I'm not saying there ought to be, you know, some kind of perfect representation. But um, leaving the firewall in place, but then considering the idea of, of uh, deaccessions in order to reconfigure the museum's collections. And, and this is, by the way, you know, activity that's um, allowed under the AAMD um, regulations even during normal times, um, which is, you know, if the work is being sold, uh, quote, as part of the museum's effort to refine and improve its collections, um, then, then deaccessions can be permitted. How much do you think is reasonable for a museum to consider deaccessioning? And it's not obviously going to be possible to give a quantitative answer to this, but give me some kind of qualitative sense. I mean, if if a museum wanted to turn over 20% of its collections to replace it with 
uh, work representing a much broader group of, of artists and uh, periods and places and regions. Um, well, what would you think about a, a move like that? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting question. And, and um, the first thing I w answer I would give you is, is that depends uh, on the institution and, and its own collections. Um, it, it, it also, um, I think, depends on, uh, as your question implies, um, on, on an appetite uh, for change in, in institutions that, um, uh, you know, to be candid, um, are, are conservative by nature and, and in some ways rightly so. Um, as stewards of the past, keepers of of uh, collections um, that represent um, you know, the achievements of of the past, um, it, 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 the inclination is is to um, not only to keep those intact, but uh, but build those out and 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 enrich those those very important stories because a uh, 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 it, it is our job to to map out a, a, um, the, the complex, uh, map out and then present to our publics the, the very rich and complex history of the arts in any, give, any given period um, and in any given place. Um, the, and so that, you know, to some extent, the, how we do that is, is a product of our own history. Um, and I bring this up because we, you know, the Philadelphia Museum of Art is not comprehensive. Um, uh -huh. we, we, we have focused um, in part because we, we kind of have divided up the world, so to speak, between long ago, between the, the, the Museum of Anthropology and, and Archaeology at the University of Pennsylvania, which has a great collection of, of ancient art um, antiquities and, um, and arts from the arts of Africa and um, uh, and, and Central and South America and so on. Um, we have tended to focus by contrast on, on um, uh, art from the medieval, early medieval period, about 800 AD to the present. Uh, and we've also focused um, almost entirely on, on Europe um, and, um, and North America, and then also on um, East Asia, Japan, China, and, um, and Korea and, and South Asia, uh, primarily um, India. Um, so our uh, those areas are, are have been traditionally where we focused, and we've we've tended, um, at least in recent decades, um, to to limit our the development of our collection to those areas as well. Within them, um, we uh, we are always seeking to diversify our collections and and think about uh, newly emerging phenomenon phenomena rather, or or the way ways that that those. Um, the art of those periods and those places is being reconsidered at any given time. Uh, but we haven't, for example, branched out into new areas of collecting in, in part because we've, <clears throat> they've never been really the focus of the museum. Um, and to start now would be to, to have to divert a lot of resources towards those and other museums um, can do them in our stead. Um, so for, for me, the, the, the question leads in two different directions. Um, should, should we, um, map out new territory and expand the coverage of our collection? And, and different directors will answer that perhaps variously. Uh, my answer is no. I'd rather focus on, on what the museum has specialized in historically and continue to do that. Um, and then on the other hand, 
um, how can we reconsider um, American 19th century or 20th century art, uh, European art, British art, French, Spanish, and so on, uh, uh, during the period that's covered in the collection? Um, how are our new things, how, how are those fields being redefined, reconsidered? Um, and, and does our collection reflect this new thinking and the new possibilities of collecting in, in these areas? Uh, and so we're always coming back to this remarkable renewable resource, which is our collection, and understanding it through, uh, by reframing it uh, um, through different, different perceptions and different ideas and different understandings. Um, just one example of that, which I think is really interesting and really important, is that we, um, we, we here at the museum for many decades now um, uh, have, have, have focused a lot of our attention in a number of fields on, on, on verna the vernacular arts, folk art, uh, and so on from, uh, from different cultures in different periods. So we have a, a, a tremendous collection now of, of, of outsider art by American artists, particularly of the last mm. uh, several decades. But we also have um, in our great collection of Indian art um, a very broad array of things, not simply what you would consider um, the arts of the court or high culture, but also uh, the vernacular arts, the arts of the village. Um, and, and we've recently had a number of conversations around continuing to collect um, the art of the village, the art of the vernacular um, in India and in other cultures as well. Um, so it's it's um, yeah I, I sort of gone far afield in, in answering your question and uh, and I think that it, it um, what I what I've left out of my answer is is whether or not the museum like ours um, can and should make very significant shifts in response to the changing demographics in our own communities. Um, I think there's a compelling reason to collect works of art that. Uh, that, that our visitors see themselves reflected in. And so clearly uh, it's, it's, it's been important to us and it will continue to be important to us to, to, to collect, for example, African-American art, um, to, to rethink um, what we collect and expand perhaps in the field of Latinx art um, and, and, and these newly emerging and very important areas in terms of our contemporary culture. Well, that leads nicely into um, the the housekeeping question that we tabled earlier, um, because you know the the, the deaccessions that have drawn the most scrutiny uh, have, of course, been big ticket items. Uh, you know, six, seven, eight figure uh, uh, pieces being sold to raise large amounts of money very quickly. But of course, um, the vast majority. Uh, of, of objects that and, and artwork that belongs to museums um, is not that. Um, and it depends on the institution, but um, there are, of course, a number of museums in, in this country uh, that have amassed collections that are vastly larger than what they uh, are able to, to put on display. Um, and there are even cases where the collections are so large that um, it's rather difficult for institutions to to care for them. Um, you know, there's a finite number of curators and finite number of hours in a day, and when the number of objects in your collection approaches the infinite, uh, well, you have a, a mathematical problem. 
And uh, you know, uh, Robin Pogerman at the New York Times has done some quite interesting reporting on this and and looking at the expansion of collections of American museums over the past several decades, uh, which in in some cases has been truly enormous, um, hundreds of percent increases in the size of of collections, which um, usually do not accompany similar expansions in the size of the, the, um, you know, in the, the museum square footage, it's, uh, exhibition space. So, you know, there are, as we've talked about multiple purposes that a museum collection serves and, uh, a visiting public looking at pictures hanging on the wall is only one of them. But I do have to wonder at a certain point, um, you know, what purpose is being served by additional acquisition? So uh, my, my question is whether acquiring these, and, and again, I'm, you know, I'm not going to name names and I, um, uh, I'm, I'm not accusing uh, any particular museum of, of doing this, um, but speaking generally, would you say that acquiring and, and maintaining these um, extensive collections, is that uh, an appropriate use for museum funds, um, and and is it in fact possible for a museum collection to grow to be simply um, too large? Uh, and and if that is possible, uh, what can be done to to address that issue? Well, it's it, it's it's an interesting question. It's it's one that that. Um we we wrestle with here at the Philadelphia Museum of Art uh, every day because storage um, is finite and and the resources for um caring for collections uh, are are infinite uh, are finite as well um including um the number and, and hours as you put it uh, of our staff it's not as if um you know these these problems emerge or these questions emerge um, full-blown overnight. Um, collections are developed uh, over a, a very long period of time incrementally. And, um, and, and sometimes it, 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 it does, it is a bit surprising to, to realize as you take a look back uh, about how, how much has actually been acquired by the museum. And, and I think at that point you are, Whatever the reason for those acquisitions, um, you are required to ask: um, Do they still serve some some useful purpose? And um, I, I, the answer, of course, is sometimes yes and and sometimes no. But if not, then then you 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 do you are obligated to to, to review the collections. Um, ethically obligated, I believe, to review the collections and um, and dispose of those things appropriately. And there's you know, there's a whole set of procedures for this at any museum, including ours, um, and dispose of them so they they don't simply take up space um, and 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 serve no useful purpose anymore. Um, it takes a lot of time and energy to do that. What keeps um, collections um, of this type in place is is simply inertia. Sometime, but sometimes, but rather, but still, I think it's important to ask that question again and again and again. And museums do 
Um, we, we certainly do. And, and um, that's what I meant when I used the term housekeeping before. Um, it's part of the work of our curators and our conservators and registrars to, to period, periodically re review the collections, to identify parts of the collections, individual ob objects, sometimes groups of objects that, that are no, no longer useful um, because they don't serve the mission or because they, they're just marginal in terms of their importance to the history of art um, and, and basically deaccession those and, and, and then to use those funds for another and more productive purpose. Now, that said, um, there, as you pointed out, there are a lot of reasons that museums uh, assemble and continue to develop their collections. Um, one of which is to be sure uh, public display in, in their galleries and the loan of works of art to other institutions. And, and, and that's, that's a very important um, part, part of the you know, aspect of what we do with our collection. Um, but we also, as, as you suggested, hold collections for, for other reasons, for research and particularly when, when collections, as is the case with the Philadelphia Museum of Art, in terms of our, let's say our, our American furniture or, or the works of the great photographer Paul Strand or, or the, the life and work of, of um, the great modernist Marcel Duchamp, um, Philadelphia is the place to go to, uh, to study um, those artists and, and their 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 work in its entirety, um, and we're the we're we're the place that people have to go to do that. So serving as a, a great and enduring um, intellectual resource for the the ongoing study of the history of art, his, history of key figures in it, is a really important part of 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 what we do and um, and how our collection is utilized. Um, the other thing I, I will 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 want to point out because it's it's a relatively recent phenomenon. Uh, and a very important one, and, and that is that with the with the advent of of digitization and the lowering increase, the, the gradual lowering of cost of taking uh, photographs and uh, digital pho photographs and transmitting images uh, across broadband, um, it, it we have now the, the ability to share our collections digitally uh, near and far in, in ways that were unimaginable even 10 or, or 15 years ago. And, and so I think it's a matter today of, uh, of redefining the utility of a collection and understanding that, that access to a collection is not simply through the, the curated display of works of art uh, in the galleries, um, but also digitally uh, in terms of sharing that, uh, again, near and far. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, a listener actually um, suggested a, a question on that subject, which is um, when a museum deaccessions a work, uh, do they typically maintain their records, their online catalog entry, photos, notes, that sort of thing, so that it's the, the knowledge and information is still visible, at least on the Internet? Um, we, we do in our files. I think when we deaccession something, we typically remove uh, that from the catalog of our, catalog of our collection on the internet. Uh -huh. I wonder if there would be some uh, utility, and um, you know, particularly if a museum is considering a, a, a deaccession and say of a large group of uh, um, redundant pieces, whether there might be some utility in at least keeping a, a catalog entry online. You, you know, as a 
as a dealer in uh, antique silver, I often find myself um, trying to trace the histories of pieces where they've been, uh, what's happened to them. I, I'm, I may find references to objects, but then it's impossible for me to find a photograph. Um, and just for, for research purposes, um, it could be quite handy, I think, to, um, to have access to that information, even if the piece no longer exists physically at the museum. It's, just it's, it's, yeah, it's a good suggestion. I, I would say that that um, you know, if, if if again we had we had the resources to do it, we would probably want to maintain uh, records like that and make them available online. Um, right now, it's still a challenge to to digitize a, a collection of, of that's the size of of ours and to continue to add all of the data on collections that we actually have rather than those those objects that we've sold. So uh, I think it's a matter of, sure. of, 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 of a very practical choice right now. So one, one more question just on this subject. Um, you refer to housekeeping as uh, a, an ethical obligation. Um, and I wonder the, the mechanisms that are in place to encourage um, curators in particular to review their collection, the collections within their purview and determine which pieces may be redundant or may no longer seem to be of the level of quality or rarity or interest um, such that they still belong in the in the collection. Are those mechanisms sufficient, do you think? And, and I'll just say, from my perspective, looking at a number of large uh, museum collections, it, it just doesn't look like they are because... Um, you know, these collections, many of them include tens of thousands of objects or hundreds of thousands that really are um, not of, a, of, of, of such a quality that they are likely ever to be displayed um, for the public, probably never to be loaned to another institution, and, and frankly, in many cases, not of any great value to researchers either. And yet, as you say, it takes a great deal of work to um, go through the process of deaccessioning them, deciding to deaccession them, and then deaccessioning them. And in the meantime, they are um, cluttering up storage spaces. Um, they are, or or they should be, consuming um, conservation, you know, uh, conservationists' time and effort. Um, do you think that there is a, a reason? Uh, for for at least some museums to consider um, rethinking those mechanisms and creating a, a much more ambitious program for deaccessioning these kinds of objects. Well, I, I do, um, and and I, I think you've hit on a very very important um, point and a bit of a sore one um, with with many of us in the field, and that is there there are a lot of things. Um, not 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 languishing in basements because um, because they they should be exhibited on a reg regular basis. To be sure, we have, have plenty of objects that should be should be um, displayed more more often. Um, but we also um, uh, I I think again uh, primarily through inertia um, we have a lot of things that that remain in storage um, that that simply need to be. Uh, evaluated and uh, and a, a thoughtful judgment um, 
made uh, about whether or not they should stay in the collection. In many, in many instances, I think the answer would be no. They don't need to stay in the collection and, and they need to be disposed of. Um, the, the one thing I can, can say that I think is really, uh, really important for in, in this regard, uh, that, that pulls in the other direction is that the, uh, the procedures for deaccessioning are quite rigorous and they require uh, research and, um, and a review of individual objects and their relationship to the collection, their provenance, the touch on the topic that we, we spoke about earlier. Um, and, um, and, and, an and an assessment about whether or not um, they, they should, of course, remain in the collection. And uh, when you go through this process, it, it is, I think it is inevitable that, um, that most of your staff, your curatorial staff will, will um, come to fairly uh, conservative or cautious uh, conclusions about objects, wanting to make sure that that um, something that they are assessing now uh, uh, will not be re reevaluated in the future and found to be worthwhile keeping. And of course, the history of the development of mu museum collections and deaccessioning from them is is full of those kinds of cautionary tales of of things being um, sold at a, at a moment in time when then, then, when they might be out of fashion or not not might not be um, well understood. Um, only, only, you know, only to come, come to the fore in, 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 in ensuing decades and be reconsidered and reevaluated and, and, and thought to be rather more valuable than perhaps they, they had been considered, um, in, in, let's say the 1930s or 1940s. So a good deal of circumspection needs to be applied to, 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 to um, the analysis of deaccessioned objects and, or de proposed ob objects have been proposed for deaccessioning, uh, and I think in, in you know in the balance that's a very good thing, quite frankly. Right. I mean, there of course is uh, going to be risk in either direction. On the one hand, risk of having uh, of making the mistake of selling things that you later wish you had kept, in which case presumably you'd have to go about trying to. Uh, buy them back or buy something similar back again, which takes more money and more time. On the other hand, there's the risk of um, of sort of paralyzing the collection in um, you know piles upon piles of uh, of pieces that um, are just you just don't have the time to to sort through and figure out that in fact they don't belong there. Um, it's yeah, I, I don't envy the position of of trying to um, adjudicate those risks. Um, but, uh, you know, I do have to say from the outside, at least when it comes to some of these larger museum collections, it seems that on balance, the, um, the risk aversion has uh, leaned very far in the direction of uh, holding on to as much as possible rather than uh, letting go when Perhaps it's time to let go, but I'm uh, inserting maybe a little more of my opinion than um, than I ought to here. Well, I, okay. I take your points. Yeah, that's okay. It's you know I, I would I would agree with you that it's a it's a it's a firmly entrenched habit of of mine to to hold on to things and and as as I've just said, um, you know there there are good and compelling reasons to be 
uh, circumspect about, about deaccessioning objects. Um, on the other hand, you're right, it, it shouldn't paralyze institutions like ours. Um, uh, but often, which, what I think you need to realize is, is often it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an almost overwhelming proposition because we, and I'll just speak, speak about the Philadelphia Museum of Art, you know, we're dealing with, with the legacy of, of decades of, uh, literally decades and, uh, of, of, um, of acquiring objects that, that, um, sat in storage and weren't given, uh, proper attention. And in, in mm-hmm. some cases, when they are, the decision is made, yes, that it no longer should be in the collection. But, um, it is also a, a place where, where, where great discoveries continue to be made. Uh, and and I mm. think that's um, that's something to keep in mind that 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 these are these are places that are are um, are are in which things are waiting to be reconsidered and rediscovered and and uh, and brought to light again and um, and that's an important part of our work as well. Well, I want to raise just one more um, sort of point of concern about. Um, uh, the the world of deaccessioning, and you've been very generous with your time. I appreciate it, but I wonder. Um, and and this is a question that uh, a dealer just has to ask, which is, you know, the more uh, material that um, belongs to uh, museums and institutions, the less, of course, that there is out on the private market and in the world for collectors and and dealers to um, to seek. And um, there is a supply and demand effect. The less that there is available um, in the private market, the higher it drives prices. Um, you know, I, I certainly have witnessed this when it comes to certain categories of antique silver, which uh, have been so sought after by museum collections that actually there, there are scarce examples of it left um, for a private collector to, uh, to pursue. And I wonder if you share at all the concern that I have about the inflationary effect that this has on the art market, because, you know, it does, uh, I feel, contribute toward this perception of um, art collecting and by extension, the whole world of of, uh, artistic interest to be one that's available really only to the the very wealthiest. you know, if you look at uh, auction results for similar kinds of objects over the last hundred years, you know, there's an incredible, incredible amount of inflation of prices. Um, and now I'm not going to suggest that museum collections are uh, entirely or even primarily responsible for it. But I I, I do think it's, it's hard not to imagine that um, uh, these collections don't play some role in impacting, influencing the market in that way. Um, so I just wonder if that's uh, a topic of um, consideration or concern um, for for museums. I, you're not dealers. You're not trying to turn a profit on your um, collections. But you do have a stake uh, in the same world that, that the rest of us has, have a stake in, which is uh, cultivating interest among new um new generations of uh, of collectors yeah it's i th- i think it's a very good question and um as 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 the way you put your answer suggests it can be 
it, it, it can be argued from, from various points of view, um, some of them partisan. Um, I, there's no doubt that, that over the last, uh, particularly over the last 30 years, but far longer than that, that the, you know, the, 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 the increase in value and the rise in prices of, uh, of works of art from virtually every um, category you might imagine, um, Asian art, American, European, ceramics, uh, silver photography, um, very few media, very few fields have been unaffected by this. Um, that's, that's been a fact of our professional lifetimes. And it's, it, it's, it's a challenging one. To, to be sure, I, I think a lot of that, uh, as you, as you've suggested, is, um, is a function of, of, of demand and supply. And the fact that there are fewer, um, great things out there. Um, but, but also, um, I, I, I do think it's also, um, a, a function of, um, not so much a, a function of, of museums taking a lot of things off the market. Um, and over time, of course, that has happened. But, but uh, perhaps more compellingly, really a function of, of increasing demand um, in, two, in two senses. One, that, that there's, uh, we're far wealthier society than, than we were 30, 40, 50 years ago. And, and uh, there, there are simply more people collecting and, uh, and willing to pay some greater greater and greater sums in many different fields um, the, the second uh, thing which I you know I've watched with some fascination uh, of, over a long period of time is is the uh, the increasing uh, demand on a global scale for art that, that there are new um, new players coming into the market from different countries uh, seemingly every year um, equipped with enormous resources um, to acquire works of art. So I think the demand side of the equation has been the far more dynamic one and, and, and the, the major contributor to, to this, um, the run up in prices and, 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 and to, to your point, um, the increasing, increasing scarcity of, of, of product, uh, of works of art, uh, to buy and, and sell. The, the thing that's been fascinating about this to me is that the one area that, in theory, at least, should be unaffected by by this because production continues is in the field of contemporary art. Uh, but in point of fact, it, it's in the contemporary field where where I've we've seen the, the I, I think the, the greatest increase in in prices and valuations over over uh -huh. the course of the last several decades. Um, uh, and and that's not a, a matter of supply to a large degree. It's a matter of just uh, a, peep, a, a, remark a remarkable surge in demand and, and a lot of, of collectors um, my, uh, moving into that part of, of the market. As you know, it's been one of the most robust parts of the, the art market and in some ways, um, given the cost of things, one of the most confounding. Well, we started this conversation on the, the subject of the AAMD moratorium on, on deaccessions. So having taken, taken a quite a uh, fascinating, uh, if very circuitous route um, ar around that theme. Um, just to, to close things out, I, I should ask, um, what's your evaluation of that moratorium? We're uh, about halfway through, you know, it was uh, proposed as a, a two-year moratorium. Do you think it's been, do you think it's had a, a positive effect? Do you think 
two years is enough, too much? Should it be extended? Should it, uh, you know, was it a mistake to make it so long? Uh, what's your overall um, thinking about that uh, that moratorium? Well, if I, were I, if I were to look at this statistically, I would say that we have too few data points yet to, to really determine whether it's been a useful tool for, for museums like ours, the membership of the AMD, to to help during uh, this the pandemic and and the fiscal crisis it it, it has created. Uh, I, I will say that that um, I think as a as a short term uh, remedy uh, option um, that it 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 strikes me as as a useful thing for directors and boards to to consider. Uh, but I want to underscore that, that that I think its value is um, in the short term. Um, doesn't mean that the the issue is 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 going to go away. I think the the question of whether whether this, the funds from deaccessioning um, can and should be used for the direct care of collections on a long term basis is something that's going to be um, vigorously debated within the field for for quite some time. Um, but again, in the short term, I think it, it was, it, it is, and probably will continue to be useful. Again, my concern, and I brought this up before, is is really about this as a, a long term change because I do think that, well, you know, we were just talking about scarcity. We were talking about uh, the increase in in the prices of works of art. Um, that has made, as I'm sure you well know, that has made it increasingly difficult for museums to be competitive in the marketplace, to be able to pay um, the cost of, of works of art that we judge to be masterpieces of very, very high quality um, and, and to be competitive in, in the field in terms of acquiring things to, to develop our collections. Um, and for me then, that that speaks to the continued value and perhaps even the increased value now of limiting the um, proceeds from sales of works of art to the enrichment of our collections because it is as I put it before um, it, it, it's a source of seed corn of uh, for the the ongoing development of, of, of our collections in, in in those instances where we've not we've done something more than housekeeping we've uh, in recent years, sold um, some American furniture or a, a painting uh, from the collection. We've done so purposefully to acquire something that's far more important and, and better. Um, and uh, uh, we've we funded that acquisition uh, partly through deaccessioning um, and partly through raising funds from donors. If we had to do that, that only by raising funds, um, we be facing an insurmountable obstacle. So I, I would say right now, perhaps more than ever, and certainly for the foreseeable future, being able to use those funds to, to redevelop and refine and improve the collection is more important than it's ever been. That's our show today. Thank you so much to Timothy Robb and the Philadelphia Museum of Art for this conversation that I can only hope was as interesting to, to you as it was to me. Um, I know this one was a long haul, and we didn't technically have a curious object. But never fear, we'll be back next episode with a very curious, definitively objective object. 
This one from the Corning Museum of Glass. Something to look forward to. Today's episode was edited and produced by Sammy Delati. Our music is by Trap Rabbit, and I'm your host, Ben Miller. Thank you.